Welcome to a brand new episode of the Soul Blazers podcast. Co-hosts Amanda Ware, our Christmas queen and founder of Hello Holidays, and Dr. Kara Osborne, our multi-venture guru, are ready to sit down and share their stories, insights, and wisdom to inspire aspiring trailblazers like you who are gearing up to start your own business, seeking personal growth, or looking for that spark to set your soul ablaze. In today's episode, we dive deep into the fascinating world of the Enneagram, exploring the nine unique types that offer profound insights into our motivations, fears, desires, and strengths, providing a roadmap for personal growth and self-awareness. I learned about the Enneagram probably like six years ago. A friend of mine asked me, my friend Kim was like, have you heard of Enneagram? And I never heard of it. And I was very uninterested because who needs another way of being boxed in or personality type? When I learned what it was, and it was really just like how we're wired and what helps us survive in our world, it's more of a like our survival technique. That made things so much more, made it where I could not only love, appreciate myself and my flaws a little bit better, but love other people better because I can see where they're coming from. I thought before I understood the Enneagram, I really believed everybody had as much energy as me and they just could calm themselves better. (laughs) And they were just cooler than me. Like I really believed that. And so that's why I was like, oh, I've got to understand the Enneagram better and understand it more. And man, it is years. I'm a, I still like get excited about, I I learn something new about the Enneagram every time open up anything about it. Totally. I I first heard about the Enneagram. Well, maybe not first. I'd heard about it, but I really thought it was like a churchy thing, which for me was like, I'm not doing that. It had come up in different ways with different people. But then I have this girlfriend, Margaret Buxton. She's a midwife in Nashville and her former husband, whose name's Reb, is a therapist. And he really was talking about it and using it in his therapy practice. And he was the, he and Margaret were the first people that I had to like really dig in and talk to about it. And when I took an initial test, which now when I work with the Enneagram, I don't have people take tests, but I took the initial test, same number of scores across all nine types. And I gave it to Rev and I said, I don't know what this means. And he said, you're either the most integrated person I know or the most fractured person I know. And I don't know which one. (laughs) And I was like, well, that's not very helpful. And so probably I was like gaming the test questions without really even realizing it. So then we threw out the test in general and just went back and really started with the like, basic emotions of the triads, like the head triad being fear, the gut triad being anger, the heart triad being shame. And he was like, well, which of those do you feel you like know the best? Which of those emotions do you feel like you have the most familiarity with? And it was definitely fear, even though fear for me is like counterphobic. It's like if I'm afraid of things a lot, but that makes me want to do them, not not want to do them. I think Lots of people, if they're afraid, they shy away or like withdraw from things. I'm like cross-wired. If I'm afraid of something, I feel like I have to go conquer it. So that made it pretty clear. And then once we sort of discovered the fear part, then it was like, you know, five, six, seven and reading the descriptions, 
you know, I have this data tattoo on my arm and my programming font is like not really an option to be anything but a five. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it was really straightforward. But, you know, I think most people start with identifying their own type. But I think what we're going to talk about today on this episode is why you need to know all nine types, why you need to have passing familiarity, at least, with all nine types. One of the things that is such a revelation about the Enneagram is, like, you thought everybody had the same amount of energy as you. I thought everybody had the same level of, like, analysis or, like, ability to see things from a detached observational perspective. And I would get irritated with people of, like, God, why, why didn't you just, like, think about that before you did it? Right. You know? And understanding that the eight other types really do see things just with a different lens. Like, you know, yesterday driving back, I had two pairs of sunglasses. I had like a traditional pair of sunglasses, like the ones on my head right now. And I have these like gutters that are yellow with rose colored my lenses. favorite lenses. And every yes. time... Every time I get in a little bit of a huff about how somebody is reacting to something, I just have to put on those glasses and remind myself that, like, they really are seeing life through a completely different lens. It's fascinating. It makes me, it really, and then it makes me, and what the goal of the Enneagram, which you've taught me this, is for us to be able to integrate into all nine. That's good. That's, I'm in my nine era right now. Like, I really am in my, like, finding my inner peace and, like, working on that and trying to see different people's perspectives on a controversial issue. And it's so fun knowing that we can, when you do learn about others and learning to be able to put on their glasses, that is a great way of putting on it. It's just putting, I'm putting on the nines glasses for this, or I'm putting on a fives glasses. Since I'm a seven, I am a, it didn't take me, I could just read it. I know I'm a seven. I didn't have to, I didn't think I was any other number. I am textbook seven, which kind of annoys me because I don't want to be in a box, but I am. You read about a seven, that's me. What I love is that when I'm in growth, I go to a five, which is what you are. And that feels, and then when I'm stressed, I go to a one. When I learned, and we're going to go through them in a minute, when I learned the, what, the negative part of a one and I saw that I was doing it, Now, when I get into a critical, when I start being critical of myself and others, it's like, oh, I can, I immediately know what's going on. I'm in stress. And I didn't know that before. I was very, the lack of self-awareness before the Enneagram limited me. And I think that's another thing. The Enneagram gives you wings. I totally agree. Well, and we'll talk about wings, by the way, because that's a whole thing. (laughs) But um, let's start and just go through the types. Let's go through the types. The goal is that you can integrate into all all nine by the time you've really done your self-work, right? Yeah, well, that you're able to sort of see things through each of those nine pairs of glasses, right? You're able to put on and take off. And when you're in relationship with somebody or working with somebody, you're able to see how it looks from your perspective and also the other person. Okay, we're going to go through the nine types. I'm going to give you, like, what they want what their basic fear is, what it kind of looks like as an entrepreneur and what it kind of looks like they're what, what they bring value to in a relationship. So it's kind of like, what is the, each number's major superpower and their biggest fear. Awesome. A one on the Enneagram is the perfectionist. They want to be good and right. They are afraid of making mistakes. 
As an entrepreneur, they work hard, they love rules, and they want everything perfect. In relationship, they are trustworthy and, but can be critical. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a tough one, right? And many of us have this aspect of ourself that is an inner critic, but ones have an inner critic that dominates their daily life. They have an ongoing conversation with an inner critic that is judging their every thought and every action. And it comes from a great place, as all the numbers do. It comes from a place of, if I can be perfect, then I can protect myself. And the truth is, of course, nobody can be perfect. And so at some point you have to figure out, well, that strategy has gotten you as far as it can and what are other ways um, to be in the world. And, you know, especially with a one that can bleed over and be really hard for the people around them who don't understand, who feel personally attacked and don't understand that the one really is trying to make both themselves and the other person better. And good. And, it, good. and they're, they are, they are, the integrity of ones is, is just like, I trust you. You know, I have my I don't trust you list. If you're a one on the Enneagram, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> okay. A two on the Enneagram is the helper. And they want to be loved and needed. They are afraid of not being wanted. As an entrepreneur, they help others. They focus on customer happiness. In relationships, they're kind, supportive, but they do forget about themselves. Yeah, so twos make the world go round in a lot of ways, right? Twos are the stereotypical mama bear, helper, um, protector of little kids. As a nurse and a midwife, most of my colleagues were twos. Twos come from such a selfless place that they can run themselves ragged trying to take care of everybody around them and often struggle with being able to put their own oxygen mask on first, taking care of themselves. There's a bit of a unconscious thought that if I take care of you, then you'll take care of me, but that's often unsaid and the people around them don't really understand the intended or required reciprocity there. So twos can sometimes get really resentful. They feel like they've done, done, done for others and nobody's done back for them. Um, and you know, the truth of that is like, you got to take care of yourself. And if you need something, you need to use your words and ask for it. I agree. Um, that's good. I, I twos, one thing I do love about twos is when they're in growth, they go to go to a four and it is, there is nothing more beautiful to watch than a two on the Enneagram go into a four because it's a midwife. That's like it. they are, they can sit with people and they care and they want to be there and they can sit in those emotions. I find that to be just like. Two's got, when a true two is beautiful. Okay. I think, I agree, I'm from a church background. Everybody wants to be a two. All the women in church want to be twos. <laughs> okay, a three on the Enneagram. Let's talk about the achiever. Wants to be successful and admired. Afraid of failing. As an entrepreneur, they're ambitious, competitive, work long hours. In relationship, they want to impress. They can struggle sharing their feelings. Yeah, I mean, the three is often called the chameleon in the Enneagram, right? It's like, what do you need me to be? I want to be whatever you need me to be. And it comes from a great place of like, I just want this to be easy and I want you to see me as a star. And not even a star, but I want you to see me as uh, useful and productive and achieving. And 
Our culture is wired for threes. American culture is set up for threes. You know, down to the level of baseball being our national pastime. You know, it's all about um, how many home runs. And I think that's really hard for threes because for threes to grow, they really have to let go of that always being seen as the winner. They have to accept that none of us are always an A++. None of us are always the winner. And this is something that initially came up for me in therapy, but if you get really stuck in that winner-loser competitive mindset and it carries over to relationships, lots of threes don't realize that even with like their spouse or their child, their need to win necessarily means their spouse and their child have to lose. And it doesn't feel good as the, you know, receiving end of that to never get to win. That's an unhealthy three, right? That's an unhealthy three. A healthy three in that like achievement space and that flexible space really can be the one who pulls a group together and can kind of, you know, morph and flex to get things done. Like threes are incredible at like checking off a task list and getting lots of shit done. I, three, I work real well with threes because I'm really good at giving gold stars. <laughs> I love threes. Okay. Fours. I don't know any fours. Four, the individualist. Fours want to be unique and true to themselves. They're afraid of being ordinary. As entrepreneurs, they're creative and they, they want to stand out. In relationships, they're deeply emotional, value honesty and connection. I love fours and know lots of fours. When I was a dancer, a lot of my you know, dance teammates, especially in ballet, were fours. It's sort of the stereotypical artist. Uh, fours are about some big feelings. They want to be in the, like, depth of the feeling, whether it's a positive feeling or a negative feeling. They just want to be in all the big emotions. They want the drama. They want the expression. They don't understand why anybody else wouldn't. Fours are often people that everybody around them thinks they're like too much. Like fours will mm. typically say, everybody says I'm too much. I thought fours were like Eeyores. So they can be, but they're not always negative. They just want, they just aren't willing. That's a very seven thing to be like <laughs> fours or Eeyores. They're not gonna be positive just cause somebody wants them to be positive. Yeah, I and can they, respect that. And they will sit in whatever their negative feeling is and just like kind of like, roll around in it and enjoy being in a dark negative you know that stereotypical kind of like teenager description of emo kids like they just want to be dark and depressive and in it and like <laughs> That's funny. I, as a five I have a pretty big four wing but it's also like creativity mm -hmm. and you know that place of sort of channeling uh, a creative energy yeah. it is more natural for a four. It's good. Five, the investigator wants to know a lot and be capable, afraid of feeling helpless. As an entrepreneur, researches a lot, innovative, prefers to work alone. In relationships, keep to themselves, but have deep conversations. Yeah. So Fives are my favorite. <laughs> I'm married to a five. My two best friends in town are fives. I love, and I go to a five in growth. That's right. And as a five, that 
like even just reading that brief description and even remembering initially reading what a five was i was like oh this is creepy this is like seeing into my soul like how do you know that about me so as a five you know fives because we are kind of in our own little world a lot of the time often can really struggle with relationships relationships take a lot of energy the relationships we have tend to be close and very deep and meaningful but we don't tend to have a lot of relationships because it costs a five a lot from an energy perspective can you have. talk about how you wake up with your battery like as a seven i wake up and i've got a fully charged battery and it never dies till i go to sleep that's right so um it's like for a five it's like your battery is like been charged and drained too many times and you know it won't really hold a charge so you wake up in the morning aware that your battery is probably going to run out before the day's out so fives are really good at prioritizing we prioritize the things that like have to be done before the battery runs out um, but that battery monitoring or that concept of having a battery it's not to say that that's not a real part of the experience but it also is a bit of a handicap because i certainly will use it as a crutch like i'll choose not to go to things or do things because i'm it's not even that my battery has run out it's i'm afraid it might run out and like that's ridiculous and i've had to learn to like outgrow that in some ways but the idea that I'm going to run out of energy or just I'm going to run out of any, anything. Fives are somewhat prone to scarcity mindset of like, I only have so much of something and I'm going to hold on to what I have rather than seeking more or better. I'm just going to hold on to what I have and try not to lose it. Whereas like an eight, which we'll talk more about, is like I'm going to collect everything I possibly can and like, you know, um gather up every possible resource a five is like i don't need much and i've got what i need and i'm just gonna hold on to it it's good okay six the loyalist wants to feel safe and secure afraid of being abandoned as an entrepreneur reliable values team worries a lot in relationships they're very loyal but can be insecure one of my very best friends, Kate Conliff, she was the COO at the Birth Center Business, and I work with her on a different healthcare business now, is a six, a very, like, kind of textbook six, phobic six, and she knows it. And she is the most loyal, will stick it through anything person I have ever known, and that is awesome, to her own detriment. <laughs> she will outstay something's expiration date by a million years because she's so hopeful and change feels scary, right? And if you're wired to prioritize safety first, the idea of changing something, it's like the evil you know is better than the unknown. So they're willing to sort of chronically, I don't mean this to sound as derogatory as it might, but chronically settle for what feels safe rather than sort of striving for potential like a three might. Well, also a six, they they look for the worst case scenario and everything. They're really good at that. That's like a, it's almost like a superpower in some ways. It is, you know, that's called downside budgeting in, in some exercises. It's basically, let's poke holes in this. Let's look at every way this could possibly go wrong 
and make a plan for that. And so inevitably, whatever happens, you've already made a plan for it. So lots of people who are sixes feel a little like they can like, you know, are a little psychic because they've literally thought through every possible way it could go. And so no matter how it goes, they're like, see, I was I right. told, I know, I have a friend that's that way. She's like, see, I, 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 told, I, I told you. I'm like, yeah, I know it's classic. Okay. Um, a seven, the enthusiast wants to be happy and fulfilled, afraid of feeling trapped or bored as an entrepreneur, full of ideas, optimistic, needs to focus more in relationships, fun and spontaneous struggles with commitment. I do not struggle with commitment. I don't feel like, but that's what this, most sevens, I think, struggle with. Well, I don't know that you struggle with commitment in your primary relationships, but you struggle with commitment in terms of like, I don't know, I gotta wait and see what I'm doing. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I you like don't options. wanna put a bunch of plans on the books for like three weeks away. You wanna wait and see. Mm -hmm. Like, let me see. Let me I, want, I want options. Yeah, yeah. I think my older son is a seven and he didn't like to make plans in advance. He wants to like wait and see how he feels at the time because he wants to have all the options until That's the annoying. last minute. That, that is, is. Annoying. yeah. Uh, but I think sevens, I go to seven in stress and um, there are lots of people in my life who like me when I'm stressed a whole lot better than when I'm not because seven's way more fun than five. Uh, and. You know, fives are in a tricky place in that way because we get a seven in stress and eight in growth. And there are a lot of fives, I think, who would say they're fives when they're home and when they're by themselves, but they've learned to be a seven or an eight out in the world and they don't feel like people really know them. Eight, the challenger, wants to be independent and in control, afraid of being controlled by others, as an entrepreneur, they are strong, direct, not afraid to take charge. In relationships, protective and passionate, struggle to show a softer side. Yeah, I mean, I love eights. I know a lot of eights. I've worked with a lot of eights. The world is hard for like a female eight. A male eight is sort of the stereotypical entrepreneur that people think about when they think about somebody who like started something from scratch and gutted it out and made it all the way. Um, that challenging, I'm gonna fight the power kind of thing is much more well received in men than women. You know, a male eight is, you know, strong and, you know, forceful. And most of the time, people see female eights as like, uh, she's such a bitch, you know. And I think that's unfortunate because I think female eights are the ones who will fight for social justice and like the rights of people who are younger or weaker or more vulnerable than them. Like, I think female eights are actually the sort of mama bears of the world who can, um, you know, protect those who are less fortunate and in need. And in their need to, it's not so much that eights really want to control everybody else. They just sure shit don't want anybody controlling them. Yeah. They do not want to be told what to do, but they are happy to tell everybody else what to do. I'm, I wing eight, I own it. Okay, <laughs> and you go to eight in growth. In growth. Yeah. Nine, the peacemaker. Wants to have peace and harmony, afraid of conflict and tension. As an entrepreneur, they're easygoing, struggles with decision-making. In relationships, calm, accepting, avoids arguments, needs to speak up more. Nines are like the like, 
Benadryl cream of the Enneagram. They will make any itch you have go away because they just don't want there to be an itch. So nines are, um, nine's primary strategy is to merge with whoever their, um, you know, primary contact in the situation is. The downside of that is they can be very self-forgetting. So in nine, in Enneagram world, they talk about how nines are more like every other type than themselves. They're the hardest to pick out. They can see every, every angle of any situation and they really do see it from both sides. They're negotiators, peacemakers, because they really can see both sides of any argument. Not like, oh, I can see how you would feel that way, but from a truly empathetic way of like, I could feel it that way or I could feel it that way which is infuriating for those of us who just want a nine to like make a decision already mm-hmm. or like hurry up and just mm-hmm. give an opinion because uh-huh. it takes them quite a while to like work through all the sides of it to get to an opinion and they typically won't take like a strong position on something unless they feel very well educated or expert on that. Thing. but that like mergy feeling is the best thing in the whole world because it's like you know hey where do you want to go to dinner wherever you want to go <laughs> right yeah but, they which are. is awesome and the like just sort of best um playmate of like sure whatever yeah they are do. fun Let's everybody go. loves a nine everybody nines make nine. the best friends everybody loves a nine. everybody loves a nine um, but they do protect their peace a little too much for my sevenness. Yeah. So sometimes, <laughs> you know, the only time a nine will ever get real grouchy is if, you know, they're protecting their own peace. It's like they're on calm water and they don't want anybody to come along and make a wave and disturb their peace. And if you're doing that, even if you don't mean to, they can get quite snappy yeah. about that. Okay, those are the nine types. Kara and I are not into the tests they have online. So just studying those nine types or just reading about them and figuring out which one might hit a nerve or you feel the most exposed. And I would say don't be too worried about mistyping, even though mistyping can be a thing, especially for like sixes and nines or people who have threes who have put on a mask that it that they're so attached to are often mistyped so if a three really identifies as a helper they might mistype as a two and it really comes down to like that underlying motivation like are you being a helper because you want help in return or are you being a helper because you want to get a gold star for helping you know okay like those those deep essential sort of fears or needs. And Suzanne Stabile does a great job. Richard Dore does a great job about teaching lost childhood messages and what you needed to hear that you didn't in childhood. Like this Beatrice Chestnut's book is like my, you know, sort of encyclopedia for the Enneagram. There are lots of good resources. So we're not going to go into all of that, but just know that don't be afraid to mistype because even if you're mistyped, if you're working through that type, you're learning something you need to learn. Totally. People will get so worried that they might be mistyped, especially yeah. sixes will be so unsure of their own type that they won't say that they're a type. Yeah. You know, they won't 
uh, attached to one. So usually if somebody's really, really, really struggling and like, I don't know, I could be a two or I could be a four or I could, it could be a seven or whatever, and they're not saying six, they're usually a six. Yeah, totally. <laughs> there is a little bit of like a resistance to sixes and we'll talk about that. Figure out your type, come back. We're going to talk about mistypes. We're going to talk about where you go when you're healthy and when you're in growth. And we're going to talk about where you wing. And we're going to talk about, you know, how they, how we are in relationships with the other numbers. And that's really important. The Enneagram has completely helped my marriage. Yeah. It, it, it helps your relationships. No one studies the Enneagram. I've never met anyone who was like, oh, the Enneagram was, made my life worse. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. So we'll talk about stances and subtypes. There's lots of sort of layers of the Enneagram that we'll keep going on. Look for them as individual separate little episodes that are short. And just kind of go with whatever part of it is resonating for you at the moment. There's no like prescribed way that you have to go through it. It's not like you have to learn the nine types and then you have to learn wings and then you have to learn stances <laughs> no. and then you have to learn subtypes. Just as things come up for you, hopefully we'll get it broken down into bits so that you can um, access those little bits when you want them. Yeah. Karen and I love, that's what we got. We became friends really fast because we could both speak Enneagram and it almost like saved it was able to help us propel our relationship. Yeah, it's like um, hot wiring something, right? It's like when you have a shared language, you can get deeper faster and sort of not waste time trying to understand each other. You have this way of like quickly understanding where the other person's coming from. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Soul Blazers podcast. Kara and Amanda, your soul-blazing big sisters, are just laying the foundation for all of the amazing things to come. If you want to stay up to date on new episodes, be notified of any discounts, or get a glimpse of what we are working on behind the scenes, go to soulblazers.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time, soul blazers. <laughs>